Listening Dog Media. Rocket with Kieran Bracken, the rugby podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Welcome to Rocket with me, your host, Kieran Bracken. Today, we're joined by sprint legend Darren Campbell, talking all things athletics and a little bit of rugby. Rocket with Kieran Bracken. So I know you've, uh, you're releasing your autobiography out now. Go on, tell us where, where it's at, where, where, where everyone can go and buy it or listen to it. <laughs> it's available on Amazon, I think in Waterstones, all good bookshops. <laughs> That's what all I'll good, say. All good bookshops. And uh, you can get it as an ebook, can't you, as well, if you want to? Yeah, on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Listen, I, I'll get, listen, I'll tell you one little story about doing an autobiography. And I want to I want to talk about your career and why you decided now to, to do the autobiography. But I did one in, God, 2005. It is quite stressful, isn't it? You know, you want it oh, to be yeah. right. You want it to look really good. And I wrote a lot of the words over a couple of years and got someone to edit it. But then about eight years later, I was on Dancing and Ice Tour and I wanted to buy everyone um, in the in the cast a present at the end of the tour. So I went into town and uh, this is in, in actually is in Manchester. And I'm being quite tight. I went to a pound shop and I went to the back of the pound shop. And do you know what I found? I found my autobiography at the back of this shop in the pound shop. So I took my book and I went up and I said, oh, how much? Uh, I said, how many have you got of these? And they said, we've got 30 of them. And I was like, right, I'll have all 30. I took out 30 quid. And she went, no, no, they're half price. 50p, Aaron. So what I'm telling you, right? in in five, ten years' time, right? Just check every now and again in Manchester if you're back up there. If your if your book is down for fifty p, because I reckon when you try to buy it from your current suppliers, they'll they'll charge you four or five quid, won't they? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. So I mean, listen to the press release. It was saying that you know after the sort of brain bleed and being in a hospital, being resuscitated, that spurred you on to do it but why did you not do it before why, why was it this incident that made you want to speak out and do your autobiography you know it, it's a weird one I never actually thought about doing an autobiography I guess I didn't think that the story would be good enough and I guess I didn't have the confidence to write one or the belief that I'd sell any books <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it's it's all right when when people think that you're famous but I think a lot of the time, I don't see myself as being famous. I just see myself as a normal guy. Yeah, writing an autobiography wasn't something that I, I thought about doing. But there was a coach that I worked with at Wasps uh, yeah. called Tristan Bevan. I'd worked with him also at Cardiff Blues. And he'd always said to me about writing a book together. And we were going to write one on performance, sport yeah. performance, the psychology of sport, uh, the lessons that I learned through sport. And after the bleed on the brain, I just thought, you know what? I've gone through such a difficult situation and it would be a travesty if I didn't leave a bit of a legacy for my kids, for my kids to know where I've come from and what I've been through in my life. And that was really the main reason for writing the autobiography so I could tell the story to my kids. And, you know, the more people that read it, they said it's an uh, inspirational and motivational book and it's a motivational story. So, I think it's amazing, you know, because when I read up on the on the on the story, you know, I, I met you a few times, and you're always very jovial, always having a laugh, always great fun, and very positive. And and you know, when we look at you know stars on the track like you guys, you know, we assume so much. And then I was really interested, though, 
when you tell the story about where one of your best friend was killed and you you had to get away because you were on the you know on the on the list to be next i mean what what was that like just tell us what was that like that was like for you and do you think that's something that maybe helped you achieve so much in your career because you know you had that perseverance you 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 basically found a way to make it would you know find a way to 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 get through it yeah yeah that that was a difficult time i was around the age of 18 18 19 and one of my friends was shot um and then subsequently found out that i potentially was on a hit list as well and um it just felt like I was doing the athletics, but I was also involved in gangs. So, right, okay. you know, I kind of put myself in that position, really. And it it was one of those turning points in my life where, because I was doing the athletics, I had the opportunity to leave Manchester. And I think if I hadn't left Manchester, my life would have been totally different. I don't think I would have had that focus. And I think on the death of my friend and losing a friend, it did spur me on. There wasn't a race that I, I I went into and I didn't think about him and think about how um, his life was cut short, um, how mm. he was taken away so soon. And what, what? I guess it, it made me, it just made me appreciate life a lot more and gave me an understanding that, you know, you have to take each day and just try and be the best that you can. And yeah, leaving Manchester and moving to South Wales was difficult because um, I left the big city to move to, um, hey, listen, little, that's like punishment. Listen, I, I I consider that as punishment going to Wales. <laughs> Never mind going to jail or something. Well, what's the next best thing? I'll go to Wales. I mean, sorry, there's a lot of Welsh <laughs> listeners who'll take offence to that, but flipping it, that, that's proper self, self-punishment self going to Wales. But that must, be, must have been mad for you because I grew up in exactly. Liverpool and, yeah. and Manchester around the corner. And I tell you what, I mean, it was a tough place. I mean, Moss Side, bloody hell. To go from there to Wales seriously mate you must have thought what is this it, place <laughs> no, it was like it was like a step back in time yeah. that's the best way for me to explain yeah. I moved to a little village called Abbabagoid and I was literally the only black person that lived there <laughs> so you can imagine oh, <laughs> I've gone from God. I've gone from a multicultural city of Manchester to this little village and it was alien. It was alien. But in fairness, you know what? I was welcomed into into the village. I didn't suffer any racism there. You right. know, um, so yeah, I, I got to say I was treated well, especially Did... as an Englishman. An Englishman moving oh, yeah. to Wales. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine the first day they might have looked and thought, "Holy crap!" Right? <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Lock yeah, the yeah. doors. Mate, that's what it was like. Well, oh, I used brilliant. to drive around the village, and people would stare. And, oh. and I was like, why are they staring? And oh. then it, it dawned on me, they've probably never seen a black person in real life. Do you get what I mean? Oh, <laughs> mate, oh, must have been must have been really interesting for you. But you talk about in your book a bit about race. Did you face any racism in your career? You spoke about that in your book. To be honest with you, I didn't suffer any racism when it came down to the athletics. Never really suffered it at all. The only little bit of racism that I had to deal with was actually playing football in Wales, where because yeah. I played up to semi-professional level and suffered racism while playing football. You know, at games, the monkey chants, the name calling, the different things like that. Pretty much had to deal with that. And I speak about it in my book when I moved to Weymouth. Yeah. Again, there was incidents there where. Racism was at the forefront of people's minds and they were racially abusing me. But look, 
what I, what I would say is it's good that we're able to speak about it now. Back in my day when I was in school and I suffered racism, if you spoke up about it, you, you were told that you got a chip on your shoulder and that yeah. you just need to deal with the name calling. Whereas now, at least we can have a conversation about it. We can talk about it. And, you know, it does make a difference. It really does. And I'm, I'm intrigued about, you know, the decision with football, because I know you were going down that line. And it's it's funny because I'm intrigued as to how you, you uh, when you're playing semi-professional football and, you know, you're finding your way and you're actually getting chances and you're sort of moving up and, you you know, people are looking at you off other clubs. But why the sudden change of heart at that stage to go, you know, I'm going to go for athletics? Because that's a big jump. Firstly, I'm guessing, like me, when I played, I was a, I played for Liverpool schoolboys and I loved my football. You know, mm. if, if I had to choose between, say, at that time, football or rugby, it would have been football. But from your point of view, what made you actually, because football is a great game, great fun, team yeah. sport, to yeah. go from that and then go, do you know what, I'm going to focus on athletics? Because that's a big jump, uh, especially when in athletics there was probably not much money around. Yeah, 100%. I think because I've been good from such a young age, so by the age of 17, I've become European junior champion. Yeah. Now, um, that's age group goals up to under 20. Um, the following year, I went to the World Juniors where I won two silvers in the 100, 200 metres. So I'd had a lot of success um, as an as a athlete. Um, so I think I got to the point in the football where I wasn't sure I could go any higher. And mm. I just remember one day I was watching the athletics on TV and I watched two athletes that I used to beat when I was younger, yeah. in the second and third behind the great Linford Christie. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, I need to go back. It was as simple as that. I, I just watched that and I was like, I, I've got to go back. I feel, I feel but what, like... what was the, so financially though, if you, you know, if you, you made that decision, right, I'm going to go back because I want to, I want to win. Did you need to get funding? Did you need UK Athletic Sport to to basically pay you to? And I know you, Linford Christie trained you and stuff. So how did that work financially? Well, Linford helped me out a little bit, but pretty much I, I with my savings. So I decided to go back like the end of 1995, beginning of 1996. And I decided then that I was going to go back. So I had some savings and Linford helped me go on my first warm weather training camp with him. And yeah, it was pretty much within a what six seven months, I made it to the Olympics, Amazing. Uh, which was crazy. I'd, I'd left this one sport and gone to another sport, but got to the pinnacle of that sport, which was the Olympic Games. So once I got to the Olympic Games, then funding and different things like that kicked in, and sponsorships and different yeah. things like that. But initially, I just took uh, the leap of faith. I always wondered when I was, when at that time, rugby was turning professional. I saw you guys, athletes, and you were training with people and in teams. And I always wondered, like, I know Linford Christie was a big coach, but the coaching teams, did they, at that stage, would the coaches get part of your sponsorship money or get, you know, the bone, you know, win bonus for from events and stuff? How did it work? How did it work financially? Would you pay them a proportion or what? how would it work? Well, I was lucky. Linford Christie was my coach, so oh, right. I, I couldn't pay him enough money. <laughs> if you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a wealthy guy, so I was lucky in the respect that Linford never wanted anything for coaching. Wow, isn't that um, amazing? Love yeah, that. unbelievable guy. So um, all the monies that I I earn um, were for myself oh, um, with the sponsorships and different things. Your coach isn't well back then. Your coach wasn't written into your contract. It might be different now. Yeah. 
as I got better and better, then lottery funding came in, which meant then that I could pay for training camps and help Linford and pay for Linford a little bit, and yeah, different great. stuff like that. But a lot of it, Linford just did out the kindness of his heart. He was a good, good guy. And an amazing sort of career that you had. I just want to talk about your career. We are going to talk about rugby and then talk about your coaching, where you're coaching in in, in athletics, but also in different sports, in football and in rugby. But going back to your career, you know, when they list out, you, you, I go to Wikipedia or I can look at your press release. And, and I suppose the main one is the Olympic goal, the four by four, which is amazing. And I'm I'm intrigued to, to see what, you know, you know, because athletics is such an individual sport, and you have to focus on yourself, especially in the 100 and 200 metres, which was your speciality. But then probably most famous for that four by four gold in 2004 in Athens. Absolutely amazing, you know. But to go to be a, like a, an individual sportsman and then suddenly rely on three other blokes to pass a baton. Like, what's that like for you, though? Because, you know, the, the amount of joy that you gave us in winning that was because it was a team sport and it was, you know, just... It was everywhere, wasn't it? Everywhere around the world. You know, we hadn't won, you know, for years and years and years. And it was just the most amazing event. You were part of that. But what's it like being in a team? But in reality, you're all just individuals. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's the most difficult thing. You you go from being rivals, you know, not even (laughs) just friends and, 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 and teammates. You go from being rivals. So, you know, you compete against these guys in the 100 and 200 metres. And then all of a sudden, you've got to come together as a team. And I think that's what made that four by 100 metre goal so special that we were able to come together as a team. And look, you know, I think I brought a lot of what I'd learned from team sports. So from playing football, I brought a lot of that into it where we have to come together as a team. I probably took on the role unofficially as team captain, you know, especially with the goal, with the gold in Athens. A lot of things have gone on um, where Michael Johnson had said on TV that I was faking injury. And yeah, then, you got um, to the nightclub and you had a word with him, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you I say? He did, he did, yeah, we, we didn't get really the inside knowledge, but did you properly diss him or did you say, oi? Did you offer him out, like Moss Side style? Well, I, 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 <laughs> it nearly ended Moss Side style. Right. I, I kind of said to him, mate, you know, why, why have you gone on TV and said that I'm faking injury? And he just said to me... Um, it's just my opinion and turned his back on me. I picked up a bottle and luckily one of the guys that I grew up with on the council estate was there with me and he turned around to me and he said, look, if you're going to do that, he goes, I'll do it for you. Oh. Instead. And mate, I promise you, I'm not, I'm not lying, not a word of a lie. Michael Johnson doesn't even know this, how close he came. Because mate, you got to think, one, I had been faking injury Two, I'm at the Olympic Games. Three, I'm not able to run like I want to run. Yeah. And then I've got someone yeah. saying that I'm faking injury. I don't fake things. I'm not yeah. a fake guy. Growing up where I grew up, you just don't fake things. It's just no. it's just not the dumb thing. My friend said to me, look, if it's that serious, I'll do it for you. And that <sighs> kind of just snapped. It snapped me out of it. And I knew then, because I was ready to go home. That's the reason I was at the party. So yeah. winning Olympic gold, may never have happened because I was ready to go home. Right. But what that did was snap me out of it. So I called for a team meeting with the four by one guys and I just said, look, right now I'm ready to go home. I had a seven month old baby at yeah. home who I hadn't seen. You know, it, all these things are just on your mind. 
So I said to them, look, if you want me to stay, I'll stay. But I said, um, if I pull my hamstring on the back straight running, what I don't want is you guys going to the media and saying I shouldn't have been in the team. So I said, I'm willing to go home now. I said, it's up to you guys. And they pretty much said that they wanted me to stay. And that's when I believed that we'd win gold. I just oh, knew. I love that. I love that story. Bond. In a way, Michael sort of like pushed you on to sort of have that reaction and prove everyone wrong. But Joe, you know, yeah. what's it? What's it like? You know, I mean, I, I listen. I wasn't very fast, but when we did the relay, you know, trying to get the timing is so hard, isn't it? I mean, geez, you know, oh, yeah, people think it's easy. Can they not make it easier? Can they not just have it where you touch them or something? No bad. <laughs> Why don't they do something like that? I mean, it's just ridiculous. Someone's out the front. You're like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Oh, but the timing, you well, guys it, are so fast, isn't it? It's, well, it's like passing the rugby ball. You know, you've yeah, got to yeah. think of it. It's similar to that. You know, when you guys are running at speed, try to pass that rugby ball and be yeah. accurate, as accurate as you can. Yeah. You know, that's why knock-ons happen because you don't get the time. No, they do. no but this is right. the big thing, all right? Listen, I want to, I, I am, I, I will talk rugby now just, just because you've just mentioned it. You know, when you have athletes. Now, when I was at Saracens, we used to have quite a few athletes who were like, you know, sort of 10.3, 10.4 sprinters, you know, but right. the problem is, um, and I know that you've worked in, in rugby in the sport and you've sort of coached some rugby players but I find when athletes attempt to come to play rugby they really struggle to be able to catch a ball and keep running with the same sort of stride that they have and and it's the same also you know you you kind of go bloody hell if only the winger can catch a ball he can run in 10 seconds but he can't catch a bloody cold so I found that you know it's interesting that you got ended up getting involved in rugby but I did find that there was a big failure in athletes trying to come our way I know you're coaching rugby players to become athletes but the other way around there weren't that many success stories were there from athletics to rugby No, 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 definitely not. I think one of the ones who was quite successful would be Nigel Walker. Yes. He was probably he was probably a ten six runner. I think once you start going into ten threes and and stuff like that, then you are exceptionally fast. And I think also one of the problems is your teammates can't keep up with you. Yeah. And also if you are a sprinter, you need to change the way that you run when you're playing rugby. So that's one of the roles that I would do. I would look at everybody individually and try and get them all up to speed. And I think that's, you know, the seasons when Wasp were very successful and people were saying they could score a try from their own half and it was so threatening. That's because I didn't just work with the backs. I also worked with the forwards because it's important that everybody gets up to speed. If you get everybody up to speed and you get everybody basically up to the best of their ability, you know, a forward is never going to be as fast as a winger, but no. you, you got to get them to their optimum and that makes them the passing of the ball and everything that much quicker. And what I found is when I was playing in, in my era, it was I really surprised when I came across Dan Luger and a few of the Quinns guys and Northampton guys were using Margot Wells as a sprint coach and doing weights and doing lots of training. I think Johnny Wilkinson and I heard about this and I was like, well, what do they actually do? But a lot of them swore by Margot and was just like, you know, would go and travel hours to train with her. And I found that quite, quite amazing. But again, it's sort of like an untapped 
sort of scientific opportunity in athletics that effectively we're all running around with the ball, but we're all thinking, well, actually, we don't need to have high strides. We need to be more balanced and change change pace in different... But Margot, I remember uh, Dan Luger, literally, he would even fly her over to help before a game just to do drills. And I'm like, really? Do you need yeah. that? Yeah, I, I, know, I know what you mean. Um, and... I guess I was lucky. I, I started working at Saracens, and I, I think that was a real, a real fantastic opportunity for me because it gave me a good insight into the game. And, and, and how did you make? You didn't game. make Wigglesworth any quicker. He was not that quick in the first place. Seriously, mate. I, I saw that you worked with <laughs> yeah, him. Seriously, but, mate. Honestly. But you know Wigglesworth. You know Wigglesworth. I ended up working with Wigglesworth because I worked with Mark Quato. Yes. And uh, Mark, Mark Quato had said to me, "Oh, can I bring this other guy?" to a training session yeah so I used to drive all the way from Wales to Manchester to work with Mark Quato so he, he said could he bring this guy and he brought Richard Wigglesworth yeah now what I said about Richard Wigglesworth <laughs> is it wasn't so much his speed it was his coordination <laughs> he had coordination problems <laughs> really he's a scrum half he should I'm have sure, coordination I, I'm, I'm sure he won't mind me saying but yeah it was coordination so a lot of the drills helped with his coordination and then also helped with his speed because his speed wasn't his strength. Right. But for a scrum half, you know, you do need to be quick. You've you got to be quick and nimble on your feet. Yeah. And um, we worked really hard, a lot of drills, because, again, that's the way that I work. I drill, I drill, I drill, just so they know exactly. The key, the key to the way that I work, I want a rugby player not to have to think about running. I want running as natural as playing rugby is yeah. and that's why I drill and drill and drill and my thing is unlike Margot Wells where the guys rely on yeah. Margot she yeah. built she built a model where the players would rely on her yeah. and feel that they need her before games and different things like that yeah. my thing was I teach you what I know I make you the best that you can be and then you only call me when you need to touch up I so listen, I, I love I love that shit, but I have to tell you, right? Like the rugby players are the tightest bastards you'll ever come across, right? Let's be honest. There's no way that Mark Quato was paying you that much to drive from Wales. Seriously, you've got to give me the figure. It can't be more than 200 <laughs> quid. There's no way up from up north the tight rugby players would have you drive from Wales and pay you more than 200 quid. Tell it me was it was more. more. Oh, it was, was it more? more yeah. And it was coming really. Yeah. Good on him. Yeah. Good on him. You yeah. see, most rugby yeah. players would get the club to pay for it or well, whatever. Well, Mark, well, Mark was trying to get back in the England team. Right. So he had a goal. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. He wanted yeah. to get back into the England team. He wanted to uh, solidify his place in the England team. So he had a goal. And I think that's one of the things that I love when somebody's got a goal. It's love not it. just as simple as I want to run fast. No, exactly. I need to know that. I need to know that they want to play. What do, what, do you, what, what do you think of the real speedsters in, in world rugby at the moment? Let's just talk about Six Nations. The, you know, you will have seen Reece Zamet, you know, he's he's lit it up. Oh. I mean, he's got he's got proper wheels, but he, he looks actually like a sprinter. And then you compare him he's to relaxed. say he's relaxed. He's relaxed. And then you got John, but Johnny May's slightly different. He's all elbows and knees and stuff, and he's just pure pace. So tell me about I'd like to get your opinion on Christian Wade as well, but let's just talk about Johnny May and Reese Samet and the different styles, and maybe say George North, who's got speed and power. So, what's the difference, and what have you well, enjoyed Zammet, watching? Zammet is e uh, will find it easier to change direction because he's relaxed when he runs. When you watch him run, he looks really, really relaxed. So yeah. that allows you to be able to change direction easier. 
right. think with Johnny May, because he's so rigid when he runs, yeah. it doesn't allow you to change direction as easy. You know, that little dip that you do, you can almost read it because yeah. it's telegraphed almost. Whereas yeah. with Zamit, like you say, he's got he's got natural pace, but he's got relaxation. That's one of the things that I teach. It's the relaxation that ultimately becomes your biggest strength. You can be as fast as you want, but if you haven't got the relaxation, then you don't know exactly how to use it properly. Listen, how can you, it's think- different. Listen, on a track, right? Okay, you can be relaxed because you haven't got a rugby ball, all right? And you haven't got 15 blokes trying to knock your head off, okay? Okay, you just got to run from the start to the end. Mm. Whereas in rugby, you've got a ball on a wing. Like, you, 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 there's blokes trying yeah, to take you your head think, off. Yeah, but you've got to think the defender doesn't know what you're going to do. No. So there's one advantage straight yeah. away. The defender True. doesn't know what you're going to do. So if you're able to be relaxed and not telegraph what you're going to do, straight away, you've got the advantage. Yeah. And if you believe in your speed, if you really do believe in your speed, there's your other advantage. And that's it. I I don't just teach people to be fast. I teach them the belief. I teach them that there's different gears that you need to have. So, all right, prime example, when I worked at Wasps, Elliot Daly wasn't a winger. No. We were, I worked with him, worked with him, and ended up playing wing for England. Why? Because in his in his in the way that he ran, he's very relaxed. You can't tell how fast he's running. So straight away, it's difficult then for the defender to work out what they're what they're doing, how fast they're going. It, it makes tackling them harder. Yeah. So that's what I do. I don't just make him. He's not a fullback, by the way, at the moment. He's not a fullback the way he's playing. No, <laughs> he's not a fullback. <laughs> Might get him back in the centre. But I know you work with Jonah Lomu. I mean, what was that like? I mean, uh, like you know, he was all he was all power, and that's a different type of speed. But if he's running at you, you know, he was ne- he never looked like he was never looked like a re- relaxed runner. Where, what year did you work with him to run over England a few times? Uh, yeah, it was it was after that. Right. <laughs> it was after he ran over England. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was near the end of my career. So what we're we talking about around 2005, 2006. He so went to Wales. Did he go to Wales? I think. Did he go? Yeah. yeah. Basically, right. he signed for he signed for Cardiff Blues, and the coach there called Tristan Bevan, who wrote my book. Right. He basically got. I think Jonah had said to him about maybe trying to work with me. Yeah. So I said, well, look, you need to sort it out with your coaches first. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. So um, straight away, the coach was like, cool, I'm happy. Because Tristan Tristan had a background in athletics. He used to be, a, I think, 400-meter runner. Yeah. So he had a bit of a background, so he knew a bit. So, yeah, I remember Jonah coming to the first session. We were pulling tires. And um, I remember him running towards me and just thinking, how do you begin to tackle this guy? <laughs> He's just so powerful. Yeah. His knees are was so he fast? high. Was he fast? Yeah. He's for, you got to think for his size. Yeah. Because he built like a forward or a centre, but he was a back. He was a winger. Yeah. So it's like to have that much power moving and running towards you, it was scary. I'm not going to lie. And I just mm. remember thinking, it, it, look, it was a dream and an honour to work with such a, legend of this sport yeah. and you know it's so sad that he's not with us oh it's very sad yeah. i know you work with yeah. you work with wales didn't you how long ago was that were you working with was this in the in the good times well i, I yeah <laughs> i think the fairly good times yeah uh, nigel walker had been working with them and i only worked with them for a short period 
um, that's how I got into coaching rugby. I was still racing and um, Nigel had said to me he was no longer going to do the job. So right. could I just go in and do a few sessions with them? So I went in and did a few sessions with the boys, but really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Look, I've coached in football, but coaching rugby players, I think, is closer to co- coaching athletes right? Okay. because of the amount of running. The amount of running. R- running is important. Yeah. You know, even if you look at the scrum, the position that the guys are in in the scrum is the start position yeah. of an athlete. Yeah. So again, that that teaching them how to move in the right way makes them more powerful even in the scrum. So what was it like? So I mean, synergies. I mean, what's the difference between the 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 the, the football like? I think you work with Man, Man Man United and Chelsea and other teams and stuff. So what's the what do they take to it very well, or do you find rugby players probably enjoy it more? I think rugby players enjoy it more. Yeah. Uh, I think football, to a point, is still kind of catching up with with it and understanding yeah. the importance of it. Yeah. One of the problems that you find in football is a lot of the old school managers had a, a sprint coach come in when they were playing football. Yeah. And uh, again, because of the way that the sprint coach worked, the the, the managers pulled hamstrings and different stuff like that. So right. Right, so straight away they've got a fear of it. Whereas yeah. the way that I coach, touch wood, no one's ever pulled a hamstring while doing any of my training sessions. I really? Don't, I, I don't flog them. That's the key. I don't need to flog them. The drills that I do, do everything that's needed to make them faster. And also one of the key things is making sure the players enjoy it. They've got to enjoy what they're doing. If exactly. they just see it as another slog, then no, it's exactly. not going to buy into it. So how do you divide your time at the moment? I know you've got, you do talk sport and you've got Sky, you've got the trust as well. And so how do, how do you divide your time? And so you're obviously coaching, individual coaching. Oh, mate, a normal year for me has been hectic. And Go I on. think if nothing else, COVID has shown me that I need to divide my time better. I've got a sports nutrition business yes. called Craft Supplementation. Yeah. So that's been going for 13 years. So I try and go in there at least once a week. Then I was doing the coaching. So I was doing that maybe once or twice a week. Then I have a radio show with BBC Five Live. Brilliant. Once a week in the evenings. Yeah. So yeah, it's always busy. Then I got three kids as well. Oh my wife, God. So are, they, are, they, the, are those three kids in Wales? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. my God. So over do the they, same, do they, over the they, same woman. Oh, with the same woman. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, listen, what? Listen, when? Okay, so they. How old? So, what are they? Boys, girls? Did you say? Are they? Yeah, uh, two boys and a little girl. So, all right, 21, 21, 16 and thirteen. All right, so, right, I don't know. So, let's say they're about to be picked for the. They're, they're all superstars in 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 rugby, right? Okay. Yeah. Who would you want them to play for, Wales or England? If you had a choice, as a proud oh. dad. And do they talk oh. like that? Are they like, Dad, what are you doing? Where are you going? Yeah. Are they actually <laughs> yeah. properly Welsh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just yeah. can't yeah. picture this. I can't they're picture properly this. Well. They're properly oh, they're well. brilliant. So they say, uh, I'll be there now in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> in a minute. So you come in now or you come in in a minute? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, my 16-year-old would probably want to play for England. Right. Okay. Because he, he just likes to be, he, yeah, that's just the way he is. He All likes right. to be okay. different. Yeah. So he'd probably want to play for England. My 21-year-old, he would probably want to play for Wales. Right. And for me, I'd just be happy that they would play exactly. sport. 
You were my yeah. No, listen, just playing. Have, they, have any of them got the, your genes in speed? Are they are they are they rapid? Any of them? Yeah, they they're all fast. Yeah, they're all fast. <laughs> Apart from my daughter, my daughter's yeah, it skipped her, but my two boys, they're fast. Yeah. Are oh, they fast and they're out on the wing somewhere? Are they when they play? No, they don't play rugby. Oh they, no, they play football. No, they prefer right. football. All yeah. right, okay. They played well. They had to play rugby in school. Yeah, but my wife. Especially with my sixteen, year, my sixteen-year-old, he would have probably liked to have played rugby, but yeah. my wife kind of steered him away from it, right. so he didn't fall in love with it too much. And so, last, I was just going to ask you quickly. You know, Christian Wade, and I've seen his footworks. I've seen videos of him, and you've seen him in American football. If you had a, cho- all right, if you had a choice, okay, if you could be, you know, you've obviously had an incredible career as an athlete. If you could choose, right, if you could choose being an athlete, the career you had, or being a famous footballer, or being a famous rugby player, or being a famous American footballer, which would you choose? Which would you choose? Forget about the money. Let's say the money was going to be the same, whatever you chose. The money's the same. Yeah. What would you choose? Yeah, money's the same. I would choose the athletics, I think. Oh, God. What, really? Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you've got to think. Because you said the career that I've had. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Winning yeah. the Super Bowl would be fantastic. Yeah. Winning yeah. the Rugby World Cup would be fantastic. Yeah. Winning the Football World Cup would be fantastic. But winning Win the Olympic gold. Yeah, it's pretty every special. Four years, yeah. Not I know what you mean. It. No, I know what you mean. mean. Yeah. I know if what I you get mean. the same money, if I don't get the same money, then it'd be American football. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, listen. Um, 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 it's been great talking to you because uh, you want to, you know, life's gents, you know, you're a lovely guy, you're funny. And um, do you know what? It's one of those one of those things where, you know, when you release a book, you kind of go, A, you kind of go, is anyone going to read it? And then B, you kind of go, well, is what I've put out there, is it interesting? Are people going to find it like, are they going to complimentary or not? And then at the same time, though, in a way, it's quite cathartic, isn't it? It's quite good for the soul just to do something like that. Yeah. I don't think you've, like, my opinion is, is I, I don't think you've done this and thought, oh, I want to make some money. I think you've done this because it's a bit it's a bit fun. It's what you want to do. You want to send a message. You want your kids to know about your life. And if there's anyone who can learn from it. And and, and whilst it not, it'd be nice to have a million copies sold, but in reality for you, you know, it's a success story already, isn't it? Releasing a, a book. Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest with you. I didn't do it for the money. I'd no. have done it a long time ago if I thought about the money. Um, I really did just do it because of what happened. And, yeah. you know, when you, you, you know yourself, when you go and do motivational talks and different stuff like that, when people hear your story, they go, they can't believe your story. And how you've gone through so much and achieved so much. Yeah. So for me, it, it it had to be about going through the adversity, going yeah. through the different things in my life, letting people know different things that they never knew, like my time in my side and different mad. things like that. Michael Johnson, I'm but mad. also showing that it's not just about the medals; it's about what you learn through life. Oh, and absolutely! They're the biggest things. Being able just, just to come back from different things in your life just showing it's possible is exactly. important exactly and, and, and lastly uh, because you are from Moss side um, this is a rugby <laughs> podcast I just need to know what football team you support it's probably in your book but mine's Liverpool right so I'm going to guess oh, I'm going to guess go on. go on I'm going to get well you're from Manchester so it's going to be Manchester but which Manchester is it going to be yeah <sighs> 
well, if it's Moss side, you oh, I don't know whether they favoured Mosi. Look, the odds are it's Man United, right? I think the odds are Man United because if you're a blue, I'll be very surprised. I'm going to go Man United. You did well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was said City, yeah. that'd offend you. That'd yeah, offend you. Yeah, because Main, Main Road is right yeah. by right. Uh, it is, yeah, where, where Main Road was is right by Moss side. So yeah. yeah, you. I could see. I could see why you, you would have said Man City. Yeah, but. Yeah, you got it right. Red was my favourite colour. It was as simple as and that. it should have been Liverpool, <laughs> my man. Should have been Liverpool. You've had a good year last year, but it's all gone Pete Tong now. <laughs> Listen, good luck with your show. Good luck with your charity. Good luck with your book. Um, you know, anyone out there listening, get it on Amazon with ebooks and everything. It'd be a great read. I can't wait to read it. So thanks very much for your time, sure. buddy. Thanks for listening to Rocket. Next week, we'll be joined by rugby legends where the Six Nations restarts. 